Welcome to How Not to DM. I'm your host, Derek. Thanks for joining me on my quest to interview the very best dungeon masters on this plane of existence. Here's a quick word from our sponsors. From frozen tundras to vast deserts to uncharted jungle islands, follow the clues to the Tomb of Hagamoth. Dire Destiny Books presents a classic adventure in a new expanded format with five unique dungeons, dozens of memorable NPCs, and a host of new foes, magic items, spells, and player options. Available now on DMs Guild from Dire Destiny Books, and the adventure continues at DireDestiny.com. Hey online D&D players, tired of cumbersome anonymous character sheets or hefty subscription fees? Dwarven Academy solves that for you. Dwarven Academy is an intuitive and eye-pleasing character builder for D&D 5e devised to help all players easily navigate the game's complex rule system. Best of all, it's free. Head to dwarven.academy to build your next character and follow them on Twitter, Discord, and Patreon. Now let's get to our guest intro. This episode's guest is D, known as Dice Queen D on Twitter and Twitch. D found TTRPGs a few years ago and fell in love with the narrative style and possibilities for creation. She's been playing, writing, and running TTRPGs ever since. D also had the unique and challenging opportunity to judge 2021's any nominations and worked hard with her four judge counterparts to select the best of the best from each of the categories. We talked about her gaming experience and also about the hundreds of hours she committed to playing, reading, and judging all of the 400 plus submissions for the Ennies this year. Enjoy! Gosh, how did I get into it? I think just like any high schooler does, thinking that all your friends are in a cult. <laughs> when I was a kid, I had these friends that we used to hang out and play like games online together all the time. They were like online internet friends. But every mm -hmm. Saturday, no matter what event happened, they always are, they like four of them always left at the same time and said, oh, sorry, we got to go. After about like two months of this, I was just like, hey, are, are y'all okay? Are y'all going bowling in the cult? What's up? I legitimately thought they were doing some like shady business. And they're like, oh no, we're just playing Dungeons and Dragons. I'm like, can I go? And they're like, yeah, okay, yeah, sure, yeah, come on in. And that's how I got into it. Just kind of fell into it. No one, like, pushed me into it. I just asked and I joined. What's your experience like running games and what versions of TTRPGs and D&D have you played? I want to call myself, like, an aficionado of D&D, but honestly, I haven't played first and second. I've played 3, 3.5, uh, 4, and 5e when it comes to Dun Dungeon Dragons specifically. But, like... Mm -hmm. Years of experience wise, I've been like doing this for 14 years and I've been like running just as long. There was this period of time, there were like, I think it was 2014. I called it the summer of RPGs, where every single day of the week, there was a game and it was Pathfinder. So these games lasted anywhere from four to eight hours. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I had multiple games a day. So so there's, there was definitely like a solid four months where every day had a, uh, RPGs. And I don't think since I started, I've gone a week without playing one or two games. Yeah, that's very consistent. That's impressive. Yeah. I know mm -hmm. most people struggle to get any kind of game going. So you must be blessed to have good friends who want to play consistently. Oh, gosh, no. I've changed so many groups over the years. Like, I'm not, <laughs> not going to lie. It's not... um. 
a lot most of my games are all uh online because I'm like a child of the internet. And so I've always thought, oh man, this day's free. I'll just like look online and find the game slotting into that one because like early on everyone was playing Roll20 off Roll20 and it's just like, okay. And Roll20 has like millions of games. I guess I just overlapped every single time I only had like one game a week until I got like two or three and then just, it just kept going on from there. Like an infinite spiral of RPGs. I've never had a break from RPGs thinking about it. Talking to you is making me like nostalgia flashback. You probably created more characters than a lot of people combined. There's this uh, website I use a lot called Mythweavers. I don't know how long my list is because like I just have a bunch of PCs I've written there. But there was this one time where they like switched over to a new style and I lost like half my characters and I still had several hundred there. I'm I'm pretty sure I have. Thinking about the first experience of yours running a game, do you remember it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So what was your first DMing experience like? Do you remember the adventure you ran? Do you remember yes. how it went? Thinking about it is a little painful. Uh, there's a lot of strong memories with the with this one because um, it was a week. It was literally a week after I started playing. So I told my friends IRL from high school that hey, I started playing Dungeons Dragons. It's really cool. And they were like, D, you have to teach us. There's like no one else that knows this. Please like run a game for us. I'm like, I don't even know what the d20 really does i roll it and and i and i and i and i figure out like what the 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 bonuses you add are anyways and like please you're our only hope within the week i started playing i was already running a new game i didn't own any of the books i didn't know the classes i didn't know monsters i didn't know a lot of stuff and i already had to run okay so this is actually a long story and it all it's 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 such, a, it's such a rough memory because that campaign lasted like two years and a friend of ours ended up moving to Ontario across the, like the country. So we would have can we and he and we and we started doing a game more intense in school. So we had to start like running RPG weekend. So we ran I think this one game once a month for up to eight hours. But the one time he got to visit where I live. Uh, we just gained for the entire weekend. So it was like, you came over to my house, we played RPGs, we fell asleep, and we woke up and we were playing again. It's, it's It almost feels like a different world talking about the modern RPGs nowadays versus like what that experience was like. Do you remember what adventure you ran? I ran Homebrew because I didn't know modules existed. Yeah, I, I didn't know there was anything like, oh, I didn't realize modules or adventure, like anything. This is because the GM I was playing under made his own story. And he's like, oh, yeah, just make your own story. I'm like, OK, cool. And so I had written an entire story about how there was an evil priest that got the party rogue to get like dragon bones for him so he could like raise an evil skeletal dragon that wanted to drain more powers from people so it would like become a full dragon like get all its skin and muscle back but mm-hmm. session one the main player ended up breaking the game and killing the big bad with two crits and i had this binder i like it was like this big and they watched me slide it off the table and into the garbage bin nearby and i'm like i've got nothing and i had to just continue the story from there 
not knowing what to do. That sounds like a first session behind the screen. You know, to be honest, I, I know some people's go really well, but considering that you oh. jumped straight in, you know, feet first, yeah. I think that that you probably at least were resourceful. So I don't beat yourself up too much. <laughs> that one experience has like shaped how I run games ever since then. So it's changed my experience of RPGs. But yeah, it was definitely it was definitely a test. I was tested early on. Would you say that those were your worst mistakes at the very beginning? Or are there some other kind of big ones that you've made since then that stick out on your mind that you would advise people avoid? That's in the same classification of big mistakes, but not exactly my biggest mistake. I've learned prepping too hard and being too invested into your work can really accidentally railroad people. And like the one thing I ended up learning was more than anything, I think you should only prep like one hour per four hours that you expect to like run for because any more than that. And the players can like infinitely branch out in ways you'll never be able to predict. And like I've written a dungeon and I want them to do this dungeon. And if I am too up, like in over my head or like really obsessed with it, no matter where they're going to go, I'm going to want to throw them into the dungeon. So they do the dungeon I wanted. But then that is by its definition railroading, you know? So I think over prep has always been is my is my number one thing I would suggest I would say is like been a consistent mistake. It is an easy trap to fall into, right? You think yeah. of all these cool ideas, you have a compelling story you want to tell. And then, like you said, it, it's almost infinite the number of choices players can make. And uh, the the odds that they're going to do exactly what you thought they were going to do are slim to none. So mm -hmm. you can definitely I, I, I found as I've gotten better at it, you can prod them into certain directions you can kind of direct them a little bit yeah. but having thought of things you could do if they make yeah. certain decisions i feel like that's always the best course of action in my opinion the way i see of it is like baseball or tennis a player is like you know the player but the gm is the wind you can adjust the ball's trajectory but it's still going to go where it wants to go yeah that's a good that's a, a really good uh, analogy there i like that yeah thank you <laughs> That's a that's a good mistake, good advice for people. What are some of your favorite memories of improv from your games where you just had to make it up off the cuff and it was really memorable and really fun? It's really tricky, primarily because I've got a lot of memories like that. And so because I have such an improv-heavy style, I kind of have to... I had to do that anyways, you know? But I guess something that I, I, I personally probably wasn't expecting was... I was actually trying to run an adventure. And this is actually how an adventure surprised me rather than the player surprising me. But so there's this 5e module called Horde of the Dragon Queen. Horde of the Dragon Queen, I didn't realize at level one, it sends a blue, an adult blue dragon at the players until I read it. I'm like, oh, this area has an adult blue dragon. What am I supposed to do? What I ended up doing was because I wanted the players to feel like they were like saving villagers and like help reconstructing the town from this like massive attack. And so every time they completed an area, they they rescued 1D12 villagers. And soon they had like 50, 60 villagers that they cared about that were in the castle and then the blue dragon attacks. And I'm thinking to myself, how the heck are these players supposed to survive a blue dragon attack? They are level one. If it's so much as glances, if someone chooses the breath, even if you save, you'll die. 
Yeah. And I don't want to underpower the blue dragon because if you up underpower blue dragon, the players are never going to be able to take it seriously. And it's really tricky. So I ended up thinking, all right, so these players are level one. They are pretty much the same as these NPCs. So what's going to happen is whenever it's the blue dragon's turn, instead of rolling attacks or damage or anything like that, I decided then there he's going to kill instead 1d12 villagers. So I turned the villagers that they had saved into an HP bar. And so now the players weren't about saving themselves. They were about rushing so the dragon wouldn't undo everything they just did. And the players ended up coming out of that one like feeling really intense and feeling like they end up loving the village so much that they end up role-playing there for like another like four or five sessions, just getting to know the people that they saved or repairing the whole thing. And even though the rest of the campaign is all about just travel this whole time, they spent a lot of it just in that one village because they just learned to love everyone there. Yeah, so this is more a story of how the the module itself was sidewinded me, you know? Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I like how you took something that didn't quite make sense and just change it into something that made more sense to you. And it seemed like yeah. that really impacted the way your players viewed the encounter and then subsequently, you know, yeah. made decisions with their playing time afterwards. So that's a, a cool story. The one thing I'd really would suggest when it comes to any, uh, this is advice for any GM. And this is like, you know, like having a GM, all that stuff. If you want to be better, like legitimately, I would actually say Horde the Dragon Queen is like the best official module to run because I think it's probably the worst official module. <laughs> it is the best training module because the moment you start playing it, it, it really tests you because you have to think critically and be like, okay, I can't trust this module. How am I going to do this? It, it's like taking off the training wheels. Every other module is so amazingly done that you can like play within its confines for the entire thing. Horror of the Dragon Queen is very bare bones for every place you go to, bare bones for every encounter you get into, and its story is super linear and not very nice and helpful. And so you have to be able to like look at the book and be like, no, I like you kind of, but no. Number one piece of advice. Play it and you'll be forced to become a better game master. I like that. That's uh, that's the first time someone has described Horde of the Dragon Queen like that to me. We've talked a little bit about D and D, so uh, but but you've mentioned you've kind of played a lot of other games. You mentioned Pathfinder. Um, so, what are some of your favorite tabletop role playing games you've played? My favorite game, hands off, is this game called Savage Worlds. It's really good if you want like a high action movie type of game. If you want to play a game where it feels like you're playing Indiana Jones and you are like desperately trying to like get across a chasm you normally can't and you need to make a jump that like by all means you shouldn't make and succeed anyways that's savage worlds really good one of my other favorites right now it's an indie game it's called spell rpg it uses scrabble tiles to cast spells so say i rolled the dice and i rolled a six and i could draw like six scrabble tiles and i can like oh, okay uh i can cast from these letters uh smack and i and i smack you uh, smack the enemy across the face it's really particular but it's really good it sounds subjective so how do you determine how effective something is that you're spelling out so one the length of the spell 
So if the word that you're using is like eight letters, it's a lot stronger than using a three letter word, you know? Also, the effect of it's not it's not really one of those statistical games. It's more like interpretive role playing, but also it has really solid mechanics to like casting spells very uniquely, getting very interpretive with the type of spells that you're capable of casting. You know what I mean? It's not it's not about doing damage. It's about uh, is this spell like suited for the situation? Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So you are a TTRPG streamer. And you've been doing that for a while as well. What's your experience been streaming and, you know, what kind of things do you stream? Very specifically, I'm this thing I uh, call a VTuber or a virtual YouTuber. It still kind of like applies to if you're a Twitch streamer. But the idea is I use this anime avatar and like I stream via that. It's like a constant role play in itself. It's like a constant uh, role play experience as I'm playing games, as I'm streaming. And it's just a lot of things building on top of each other. Cool. Yeah. My friend Andrew is also a VTuber. Really? Yeah. And uh, I've I've played a couple of, uh, or I've played a one shot with him. um, And he's got kind of that animated avatar as well. It's it's Mm -hmm. pretty cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you're a TTRPG streamer, but you don't run any campaigns for your stream. Why is that? Yeah. No offense uh, to anyone out there listening. I don't think if you're looking to grow as a streamer i don't think running games is the right way to go yeah because i believe that uh if you do it on twitch specifically games are inherently exclusive to to themselves so because twitch has a system where after like so many days if you're like pre-affiliate it's like 14 days if you're an affiliate it's like two months but after so many days your vods delete themselves and then you have to upload that to YouTube anyways. So if you forget even once, suddenly that's a whole episode that's just gone. And then people can't catch up. But also when you're a streamer, there's a situation where people can't hit every stream. And so if one person can't hit the stream, they'll be like, oh, I'll watch the VOD and I'll wait to watch the next stream and then the next stream. But then they suddenly build up like six streams that they're not watching and then they just drop off your like regular viewer list. It's inherently like self-cannibalizing. So running stories and the longer the stories are, the less likely someone's going to be able to stay and watch the next time. Interesting. Yeah, I have quite a few friends who do TTRPG streams, but I know they're meticulous about that for this Mm -hmm. reason. They, you know, they, they have large teams of people and there are people who are dedicated to making sure that they have the recordings and posted and stuff. But yeah, that does make sense. Like you said, it's if you slip up at all, if you miss something, then it can be hard for someone to catch up. So that's it's, that's an, it's like know. a negative snowball, you know? Yeah, I, I feel like uh, streams yield themselves well to one shots again for this reason, because yes. it's easy to just tune in and, and watch one shot, one story. And then, uh, you know, you don't feel like you're missing anything if you miss a week or something like that. I actually do this thing. There, there is one kind of campaign I do run. It's not really a campaign with other players, but it's um. Have you ever have you ever heard of uh, Twitch plays Pokemon? No, I haven't. Twitch plays Pokemon was this uh system in which the Twitch chat has ways to influence what's happening on the stream, and so they were able to control a single like character in Pokemon Red. Together, like a thousand people are controlling one character in some way. And so I kind of use that. And so 
I do like a Twitch plays quest where everyone on in chat can like throw in suggestions what's happening. I I roll them all off a table as to what the character is going to do next. Uh, sometimes it's fun being like, okay, I tell off the person for uh, berating me in front of my mom, or and or another option be like, literally eat dirt. Like I've had the characters like, okay, I guess we rolled eat dirt. This character just grabs dirt and eats it, and okay, that's how that's how it's happening. So what I do with that one is I only run up to three sessions for it only. So one shots are really good, but like if you want like some narrative uh, like thorough through, you want to do like up to maybe six and then cut it off there, I think. So one to six sessions would be great for online, but not more than that. Personally, it's just all opinions. Here's some more awesome sponsors of the show. My Sound Delve is a player-centric sound effect app that improves immersion. What does your character sound like? Match their actions with more than 2,000 sound effects in the My Sound Delve app. If the standard library doesn't have what you need, you can record and import unlimited sound files with the premium version. Go to mysounddelve.com to get started. Are you hungry for fortune and glory? Then follow the clues to the Tomb of Hagamoth. Join the hunt for a treasure great enough to tempt even the most jaded adventurer. Dire Destiny Books presents an adventure for 4-6 to six characters starting at level 3 and ending at level 9, with entertaining monsters, traps, and unique treasures for you to encounter across a dozen thrilling locations. Available on DMs Guild from Dire Destiny Books, and the adventure continues at DireDestiny.com. Now let's get back to the show. So I want to transition now to your experience uh, being in any judge, which is yeah. uh, kind of your most recent contribution to the TTRPG world. So first of all, for any listener who's not familiar, can you give us like a really quick rundown of what the any awards are? So the Ennies are a, it's like a people's choice award kind of awards for tabletop rpg excellence over the last year publishers or, or like indie indie developers like a lot of indie developers most of those indie developers send in their games and a panel of up to five judges of which me was included we look over the games we go over the like the 24 categories and we organize of all of those five into each category sometimes something is just so good it appears in multiple categories as once like a I think Heart ended up in seven categories. It's it's really intense, but like there are there are like indies there. So at Gen Con, like the biggest tabletop RPG convention in the world, uh, that gets like announced. Be like, yeah, these are the games that like won these awards, and like people tend to use them like badges of honor. But like, it's really nice. It's really nice to see people get yeah. really excited about them. Uh, one of the things uh, you mentioned being like. Um, uh, lays contribution i feel i feel less attached to the tabletop rpg community now primarily because i'm supposed to keep away from being influenced by people mm. it's like publishers mm -hmm. so i can't so i have a lot of publisher friends that i couldn't talk to in certain capacities in the last year um yeah especially since a couple of them were like oh yeah no i'm submitting to the ennies i'm like great thanks for telling me that <laughs> yeah you got to try to be impartial that makes sense so do each of the judges get to pick one thing that's going to um, be the nominees for each category? That's why you said five. We all create a list of five. So for every judge, we create a list of five. And then the last three 
two or three meetings is le- is pretty much a battle royale yeah. of uh deciding this one these ones should be in the top five for this reason but what about this one and it has good so it is it is an intense fight it is like it's almost like a marathon like it's like it's like it's like a bi merit like battle royale between all the games and like I think in one of the categories, everyone had a different top five list. Oh, boy. And that is like 25 games trying to vie for this top five list. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And so (laughs) our last, like most of our meetings tend to last like three hours. But our last meeting lasted like eight. It was intense. It is is intense. We it is is a rigorous fight. And it's. I fought for y'all. Anyone that was on my list, I can't tell you what was on my list, but I fought for y'all. <laughs> yeah, that does sound stressful. Uh, one of my past guests, Cam Banks, and the whole team at Fandom uh, submitted Cortex RPG, and I know that oh one's up God. for a few awards. So, But yeah, you've like already done your bit, so I can I can say that, and uh, and it won't influence you, right? Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Straight up, like... Uh, it's on like five lists. It's it's a good yeah. one. Cortex was uh yeah. like if you because uh as an A judge, we we get you can choose between submitted digitally or physically, but when you have Cortex Prime in your hands and you feel it's like multi-layered and like has like different gloss on different parts of the page, you're like, Oh, this is oh, this is high production value. You can't you can't print out a book that has like like a different different type of like cover like where you trace over it and with like reflects oh, it would be beautiful what is the process of becoming a judge i know it's not something you can apply for yourself so how did that work how did you get selected it's kind of like a nomination kind of system i, I think some people mm-hmm. can nominate themselves but like um personally i i think i i believe i was nominated by like other people like um they're like oh d you absolutely have to do this go 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 and then it's like okay sure after that it becomes a popularity contest the nomination thing is like the thing that uh, most people like don't even know you can be a judge, but the mm-hmm. nomination part is where then you go out there and like you have a profile and you tell people, hey, maybe vote for me. And hopefully they like like your profile enough and they put you on their votes while they're voting for everything else. Be like, OK, this person should uh, be a judge next year. It can be tricky because. It's 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 still like everything is about community nomination and like community like acceptance. So you have to like represent enough of the community that they recognize that you are a good fit to be a judge. But also if some random like big shot wanted to be one, like I don't it'd be difficult to like not. It's a tricky system. People get pissed because in the past, I think uh, people have complained that, oh, no, any and he's picked all their own judges. And it's like, if that's not true at all. How many hours do you think you spent? Number one, in all the meetings. Number two, in reviewing all these materials yourself. It gets really intense when people like remember that any is a thing at the start of the next year. So like around January, it really uh-huh. starts picking up. But pretty much from... When you become a judge in August to December, like every once in a while, things pop up for you and appear for you and be like, okay, cool. I can do that. I can tell you it's not four digits. I can't tell you it's two digits either. So it's a three digit number. And I don't the hundreds. I'm pretty sure 100 or 200 might be an undercut. 
Because a lot of times you can like look at a game and like read through it and be like, okay, this isn't this isn't great here, 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 and so I can't really push it. But sometimes you end up like having two things in your hand and being like, okay, which one's better than the other one? My only option is to play it and see. And so then for this one game, I might never play again. I have to gather up a group and be like, hi, let's play this real quickly, please. I need your uh, like your help here. Any game can randomly just generate an entire extra four hours. Yeah. <laughs> I would yeah. put the amount of time I personally put into it minimum 300. So anyone out there who's thinking, oh, yeah, it sounds really glamorous. It's uh, it's not necessarily that it's a labor of love. <laughs> you have to love RPGs. Like if you play in this, yeah. if you play in this one and you like don't love RPGs, like the other judges will be able to tell. Because the important thing is in the past, people have found reasons to be angry at us. And one of the most important things for any judge is if anyone does get pissed off, you have to be able to defend your choices. Because if it's just like, I don't know, then people are like, oh man, I guess they got paid off for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. You have to be able to defend each of your choices. Like, I can write a personal, like, like for the ones I chose, I can pretty much write a personal essay of, of to why I chose each of one of them. I'm not trying to like be super elitist about this one, but it is it was right. like tougher than it is. You could coast. You could try to coast, but it, it would be it'd be transparent. From a judge's perspective, now that you've put in however many hundred hours you, you hundreds. spent on this, hundreds of hours, what is the best way to set your creation apart from the rest when it comes to being nominated for the awards? Oh, this is a really tough one to say. This one, this one's like really rough. Make sure your cover art's nice. I, I always, I was always told in the past, uh, never judge a book by its cover. But also, what's true is ratty covers stay on the shelves. If I have a choice between two books and one of them has like a bent front cover, I'm picking the one that's not bent. It's a really good introduction because if you can't put all of your love and resource into like looking good on the on the first page, it can tell me that you might not care enough about the rest of the game. Because you know, if if you're gonna dedicate the time to be like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna get like a good artist, I'm gonna put them on the front and be like, okay, this is really pretty, and and if you can't even do that much. Then it's almost saying like, yeah, the re the game, the rest of the game is what matters. Like, yeah, the rest of the game might still be good. I will still read through the whole thing, but I can tell how much care someone puts into a game. What's been in your mind the most rewarding part about being part of the Ennies? and then what has been the most stressful or difficult part? Free games, both, both, both uh, as both answers. Yeah, I'm, I'm mostly joking, <laughs> but also not. God, I want to I want to show you simply just how much I have to give away uh, or like deal with because I've gotten so many books. I have like no space. I, I already had three bookshelves in my room and I'm still like hunkering for space. That's a real that's a really nice thing to have about it. Like uh, as, as part of a judge, you just get a bunch of free games. But also the amount of free games that you'll really want to keep is limited and i've even had to look through my own personal collection prior to the ennies and look i might have to throw some of you away or give some of you away because i literally just do not have the room and all and there's a lot of other games that i think are better on my shelf unless you're really gonna go pack rat queen up in here you are going to run out of space very quickly as to as to what like like my favorite part about it like the free games is really nice being able to like really hone my design skills was a very major part of it because I thought I had pretty good design sense and having to look and I've, I've already been like analyzing books, but having to like analyze like I think our final submission was like 403, including podcasts. So that's not exactly fair. But 
approximately like 300 something games and i had to analyze each of them being like okay this is where it's good and bad good and bad this is why this is why it's bad this is why it's good this is another game that does it better so i guess the overall experience is a lot of mix of good and bad and all the good has some bad and all the bad has a little bit of good and it's really tricky to say but i guess my design sense has has improved massively in this last year and i've run out of so much face i have to throw away books <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah both both good and bad things for sure i never really was much one i i'm a streamer but i've never been much one for a public eye it's been a really weird experience having a lot of people follow me uh randomly mm. and be like are you following me because uh you actually like what i'm doing or are you secretly a publisher that wants me to pay attention to what you submitted and it's really come into question some of the relationships i've built and that's been a really rough experience actually that does sound like it. Like it, nothing too just, negative thus far, though. No one's like been threatening you or or badgering no. you or anything. No threats. Okay, good. But it's those aren't the things that are gonna like. If something like is really really bad, I can easily cut that in my brain as like that was just a bad experience. I could like store that in a place and like not think about it. But when like say a good friend is like, ah oh, man, I submitted to the Ennies, that kind of in a way cuts deeper. Uh huh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's like a little dark to say on this. No, no. I. This is exactly the kind of stuff I'm looking for. You know, this is these are the questions I, I want. I want to hear answers to. So a, a lot, a lot of a uh, human experience here. I literally thought it was gonna be like, oh, analyze games and free games. That's gonna be great, and it is great. But yeah, got it. Works. Would you do it again if you were given the opportunity? 100%. I I got uh, I'm nominated for this next uh, cycle. <laughs> yeah. 100%. There is without a doubt I would do it again. I feel so much more in tune with my design sense than I've ever felt. And it is it is to me it is honestly a badge of honor because it it feels good for the community to say, "Hey, we trust enough in your opinions that we think you should help decide what the best thing is." Because we don't actually decide what the best thing is. We we give you our top five list, and people then vote on those things. Yeah, but yeah. it feels good for p- enough people to trust you that hey, here's hundreds of games. What do you think are the best ones that we should actually look at? Like honestly, and there's like a lot of negativity. Like there's a lot of like negative parts and positive parts, and just it's a swirl. The swirl of good and bad things, and I'm willing to do it again. And because um, uh, here's an interesting detail about the Ennies. In order to keep people from like consolidating their position like forever, any judges can only do it for two years in a row, and then they and they're forced to take a third year for a break. And then you could do it for another two years if you'd like. But uh, you're forced to take a third year break. That was really interesting, and you know, I've I've done a little bit of research about the awards themselves, and, and perused their website, and done some submissions of my own or, or voting and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting to see behind the scenes and to talk some to someone who's been intimately involved in the process. So I really enjoyed that conversation. What are some of your parting words of encouragement to new and aspiring game masters and streamers and any you know anybody who's looking to get into <laughs> the creation game of, of TTRPGs. The hardest part to deal with all of this is in the hobby is burnout. I'm not going to tell you to take it easy. You really, really got to know you love what you're doing. Whatever it is. If you want to focus that way uh, on GMing, if you want to focus on like making games or running games or playing games, you really got to love it. Because you're all, everyone is going to achieve some kind of burnout. There's player burnout, there's GM burnout, there's like design burnout. And 
I don't think what get what people gets through it is taking a break from it because I think that's how sometimes people end up breaking from hobbies. But yeah. like legitimately loving it will help you push through it and keep you there. Someone someone that said something that uh, that sticks with me is the flame that faintly wavers stains the brain with flavor. When things get really difficult and and you realize you still love what you're doing, that like it just like seeps more into your brain and like really makes you more about it. Like for me, RPGs, I think, I think, I think I, after 14 years, I can say RPGs have stood the test of time for me. And it's probably going to be something I'm going to be into even when I'm like dying, you know, like if I end up in an old folks home, I would actually prefer to be an old folks home because when I am, I will have a bunch of people that are really bored and would love to play RPGs. I, I know this is a little morbid, but when I die, I do want the GM screen right in front of me. I'll be like, hey, hey guys, guess I failed the death save. <laughs> Best last words ever. <laughs> oh, man. That would be a very poetic ending to a life of, of uh, TTRPGs for sure. You know, oh. the hobby's only been around like 50 years, like at less than 50, it's like 48. So of my 14, I calculate it's like 35% of the entire hobby. And 14 sounds short, but actually that's like 3% of anything is like major, you know? Yeah. It feels good. Other than the stuff that we chatted about today, do you have any other big projects you're working on or anything you want to plug here? Podcasts, live streams, anything like that? Uh, Twitch.tv slash DiceQueenD. D-I-C-E-Q-U-E-E-N-D-I. That's D-I. That's mostly the thing I do. I'm also running a... I don't... I think that's probably going to be released after Gen Con. But for Gen Con, I'm running two panels. Um, oh, cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah. For I ran Gen... Uh, that's, uh, that's actually how I started streaming. Last year, my first stream ever was to Gen Con. And people said, you should keep doing this. I'm like, okay, cool. And then so I just kept streaming from there. I also have Patreon. Come hit my Patreon if you want to support people like me staying in, 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 in the world. Anyways, that's really all I have to share. All right. Well, thanks so much, Dee, for joining me. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Like I said earlier, it's it's a lot of fun to kind of see behind the curtain, see, you know, the people that really make these things work for the community. So I think I speak for everyone where or when I say that we all appreciate all of the hundreds of hours you put into it. And we're really excited <laughs> to see all of the winners this year. I am, too. I really am. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining me on How Not to DM. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss an episode, leave a review of the show on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, or Podchaser, and share the show with your friends and family around your game table. If you're looking for new dice, use my code HN2DM for 10% off your order at adventuredice.ca. My intro and outro music is by my good friend Torin, aka Mr. Tape. The ad music is from Arcane Anthem's library of free TTRPG tunes. And, until next time, roll some nat 20s for me.